Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Pond Hunter Broadcast from the Under the Sea Radio Show on Blog Talk Radio. The Pond Hunter, in the pursuit of all things aquatic. Take a look into the world of koi ponds, water gardens, and the lifestyles of the aquatically obsessed. Meet the pros, hobbyists, and cover some no-nonsense pond advice straight from the field. The Pond Hunter, in the pursuit of all things aquatic. Here's your host, koi pond and water garden expert, Mike Gannon. everybody doing tonight? Welcome to the Pond Hunter Radio broadcast coming to you live on blogtalkradio.com. Coming to you live on Periscope 2. Hey, Periscopers. How's everybody doing out there? Welcome. Welcome to episode 31, everybody. Uh, my name is Mike Gannon. I am your host, and I'm very happy to be here with all of you tonight. Um, we got a good show in store for you guys tonight. For everybody, we're going to be joined tonight by a ponding pioneer, a uh, pioneer for 21st century pond keepers, a man who really helped to change the industry for the better. Um, Gary Woodstock is going to be here with us tonight, so stick around, everybody, for tonight's big show, or maybe you're listening to the show uh, from the archives. You can find this in all the other Pond Hunter Radio broadcasts, and you can listen to any of them from the archives at your convenience on your smart device device of choice at uh, on iTunes you can search for the Pond Hunter Radio broadcast on iTunes or on blogtalkradio.com/thepondhunter give the show a follow while you're at it um, and the periscope broadcast will be available on Twitter for the next couple hours probably 24 hours after the show is tweeted out so when I'm done with the show it gets tweeted out and you guys can check it out on Twitter if you guys want to catch the live video feed. So um, how's everybody doing? How's everybody doing tonight? I'm doing great. It's um, springtime, and I love it. Pond season is happening right now. Those of you on Periscope, you can see my pond behind me. There we go. That's my pond. You can see my fish jumping around my waterfall back there. Hope you guys like that, checking that out. Um, so, yeah. Pond season is happening, and probably like most of you, my pond is alive Again, my fish are eating like lunatics. I've already switched away from other from uh, the cold temperature foods, and I'm onto the regular season food already. So um, I've been feeding my fish really as often as I can, and they've been eating, and I love it. It's great to see. I'm sure a lot of us are seeing some spawning action already too. Um, I've had a couple customers who um, have had their fish spawn already. You know, it's it's may and our koi are spawning um which is great i actually was at a service call today i was with a customer um at their pond talking about the pond with them and their fish were spawning so i witnessed spawning today hey john pat it was pretty cool there's a fish that actually just jumped right out of the water i mean it breached like a like a humpback whale it was was pretty cool while we were talking there because this particular customer has some pretty big fish tons of babies already too but they're they're going to have a whole bunch more real soon. So it's pretty cool. His fish were going going absolutely wild right in front of us. So, you know, this time of year, if you guys, if your fish seem like they're um, or just seem overall really frantic uh, within the pond, 
they're probably spawning because um, they all tend to do it around the same time. So if it's happening in these other ponds, it's going to start happening in our ponds too. So um, there's some other things that you guys should should look for. I mean, if it seems like they're fighting, they're not. I mean, koi really don't fight all that much. They're not big fighting fish. They're not even really territorial fish. So it's not really what you're seeing. It may seem like they're fighting, um, but they are most likely spawning. And if you're getting really foamy water conditions, that's going to be a telltale sign as well. So your pond typically is going to have a nice clear surface to it. You come out the next day and there's foam all over the place. It's a good chance it's from the, the fish that are spawning inside there. So those are some things you are going to be looking at. And um, if, you, if you have good filters or skimmer system, just let your filters um, take care of that situation in your ponds. Um, the good filters will clear out spawning gunk uh, pretty quickly. So if you don't have good filters, that's a different story and you want to be careful and maybe consider doing a small water change because um, nutrient levels can really shoot up pretty high uh, during spawning time in small ponds, you know, so you just got to be kind of careful of those kind of things too. Um, don't let it get too far away from you because they really can't nutrient levels and just shoot up and before you know it, you could maybe be dealing with some ammonia conditions and your fish aren't going to like that. Even with the best filters, um, you know, you're going to see some murky conditions during spawning. It's just the way it is. Nutrient levels shoot up. Um, you'll see some murky, maybe even green water conditions at times. So, again, your filters are good. Let them do their job. Another telltale sign is how your pond actually smells because spawning um, smells. <laughs> I mean, there's no other way to put it. Um, spawning definitely smells. That sweet smell of spawning. Yeah, man. So just, you know, if your pond's getting stinky, your fish are going wild, foamy water, you, you can pretty much know that your fish are spawning, and hopefully um, you're going to see some babies soon. If the eggs don't all get eaten, um, koi will eat their own eggs, and so will goldfish. If you have goldfish and koi together, they love chowing down on koi caviar. So something to consider. Um, this time of year, too, forget the spawning and all that stuff, and all our new fish that are being born, we have to protect the fish that we got because right now, this time of year, heron activity is going to be really high, you guys. Um, when herons have baby chicks in their nest, they, they're they pretty much desperate for food. They need a lot of food, and they're desperate enough to come into our backyards and try to raid our ponds and get a meal for their little ones or several meals for their little ones. So be really careful <coughs> over that, um, especially right now because it's what's going on. And uh, it, it, it's weird. I got, um, besides herons, calls about that, I got two reports of foxes going into people's ponds. And, you know, I've been doing this 20 years, and I've never had a report of a fox going into a pond before to try to catch fish. And this week I got two reports, and both of my customers, you know, totally on the level, and they witnessed a fox going into their pond. So, I mean, weird, but, you know you got to be careful of predators because you just never know. You never know where they could come from um, and why they may choose to go after your pond. So be prepared for whatever. And predator deterrence um, should be approached on a multi-level um, methodology. You know, don't go for just one thing. One thing, if you guys heard the last Pond Hunter radio broadcast, episode 30, it was all about great blue heron. I mean, I, I went into detail on um, these pond predators and gave all sorts of great tips 
um, not just about the bird itself, but how to deal with them, some great predator uh, controls that you consider doing. Um, so that's something that you guys should be checking out. Um, it was episode 30 of the Pond Hunter radio broadcast, and I gave all sorts of great ideas. I even gave my secret weapon for heron control away on that show, but I'm not going to get tell it to you. I'm going to make you guys listen to it. So you guys can go back, check it out, um, and like I said, you can find all the past shows on iTunes. So just search for The Pond Hunter, and uh, you will do just fine. Or blogtalkradio.com slash The Pond Hunter. Right? And you guys can um, see what's happening. Um, with herons, there's, there's lots of solutions to help control them. And there's a lot happening out there in the pond world, everybody. The new issue of Pond Trade magazine has hit the stands. Go see that? Pond Trade. I'm showing Pond Trade to the world, man through Periscope. Isn't that cool? So the May and June issue, 2015, of Bond Trade Magazine is out. I love this magazine. I actually wait by my mailbox for the mailman to get here when I know it's coming. And uh, I run up the street to meet him to get my magazine. But um, all sorts of cool stuff. Um, this issue is full of great information. Um, I haven't gotten all the way through it yet. I just got it, but I read like cover to cover the whole magazine. But I mean, there's pond guys. Uh, Mark M J Wilson did an article on this on um, the evolution of construction. Really interesting, cool article. Mark is a pond builder over in England, um, so you guys can check that out. John Olson has an article in there. Zach DeKuyper, Roger Tower, um, Kent Wallace, uh, very well respected pond professional. Um, he is in there with an article on preparing for polyuria, which sounds kind of personal. Um, Max Taylor, Max Phelps, Ellen Kloybeck. Ellen was a, a guest here on the Pond Hunter radio broadcast just a few episodes back. We were talking about Sanke Koi, uh, the different Sanke varieties. Um, she was a great guest. You guys should go check that out. Where? On iTunes. Go ahead. Go check it out. Paula Biles one of my favorite water garden experts. She has an article in here. She's a, a noted author in water gardening, um, a contributor to Pond Trade Magazine, of course. Ed Ballou, another guest. Mark Wilson was a guest, too. Ed Ballou was a, was a guest on this um, program, on the Pond Hunter, and uh, he has an article in here as well. So, I mean, holy cow, what a great, uh, great issue that has come out. And um, they also list some upcoming events so what we have coming up, I mean, a lot of these things are a little bit ways out there. Pondemonium is coming up again. This is Aquascape's big event of the year. Pondemonium is happening August 5th through 8th. I wonder if that's 25th through 28th. I could be totally wrong. So you know what? Catch me on the next show when I give you the definite dates. Um, August 5th through 8th at the Q Center in St. Charles, Illinois, Aquascape's Pondemonium event, the biggest event in the water gardening industry for pond professionals. The IWGS Symposium this year is happening in Lawrence, Kansas, August 13th through 15th. The International Water Garden Water Lily Society is having their annual symposium at Water's Edge in Lawrence, Kansas. To learn more about that, go to www.iwgs.org and you guys can find out all the lowdown on what's happening with that. There's some other stuff coming up, but we'll get around to that a little bit later. But Pondtrade, man, check it out. It's out. Gotta love it. You guys can also go to pondtrademag.com if you guys want to do the e-version of the magazine. 
What else is going on? Uh, oh, you know what? If you're in the New Jersey area, like me, I'm broadcasting out of New Jersey, come on out and meet Anthony Archer Wills, the star of Animal Planet, The Pool Master. He's going to be in Bernardsville, New Jersey, on May 23rd for a meet and greet. I'm going to go check him out for sure. Can't wait. He'll have uh, a new season of shows coming out soon on Animal Planet, The Pool Master, Season 2. Check it out. Watch for some cool episodes coming up, cool projects, and that's going to be Season 2 of The Pool Master. Season 2 of The Pond Squad is being shot. It's underway. There's already been a couple episodes released, and you guys can catch up with the guys from Aquascape. Um, they're back at it. They're creating amazing um, water features and ponds and water gardens and all sorts of cool stuff amazing stories, um, and they're right on YouTube. So you guys can go check out the Pond Squad YouTube channel and see all of their episodes. Um, they're great for binge-watching. You know, you can watch a whole bunch of episodes at once and check them out. Um, the Pond Squad is back, everybody. Go check it out. So, um, great. So coming up, the Pond Father, Gary Whitstock, is going to be joining us for some Pond Father Knows Best. And we will be... Right back with Gary Whitstock, right after a word from our sponsor, the wonderful Full Service Aquatics. We'll be right back. Do you love your pond? Full Service Aquatics water garden and koi pond experts can give you a pond you can live with. Full Service Aquatics, an award-winning water garden, koi pond, and water feature design and installation firm, has been creating amazing aquatic environments since 1995. Got waterfall? Full Service Aquatics can make your old waterfall or pond look like new with our waterfall, koi pond, and water garden renovation and repair services. Visit FullServiceAquatics.com or call 908-277-6000 to speak with a Full Service Aquatics pond professional today. That's FullServiceAquatics.com or 908-277-6000. Full Service Aquatics, a pond you can live with. Visit LoveYourPond.com. That's right, full-service aquatics, a pond you can live with. And um, things are great. We're slammed right now. We really are. I love it. We, we've had a, a couple of cool projects already this season. We just finished today um, a project, a pond, that we built for a high school in Newark, New Jersey, in the courtyard. Really cool. Um, you know, kind of a urbanish area. And uh, in the school, we built a really beautiful koi pond right in their courtyard. The kids are going nuts over it. The students get very excited about ponds. Um, every school should have a pond. It's an incredible teaching tool. So, hey, uh, shout out to Westside High School in Newark, New Jersey. What's up, everybody? Uh, hope you're all enjoying your new pond. I'm sure that pond will launch some new pond keepers, some more 21st century pond keepers. And my guest tonight has played a tremendous role in the advancement of pond keeping in the 21st century, the modern pond keeper is different than any other generation of pond keepers. We are the most connected and informed generation of pond keepers in history, and the history of pond keeping goes way, way back, thousands of years. And uh, we can find advice and information that will save us years and money simply by going online. Although I will give a caveat for online information, there are some seriously skewed opinions out there. Opinions, I say. Um, but anyway, the modern pond keepers is having great success and easier upkeep due to many things that tonight's guests help bring into the hobby and industry. 
He's been a very big influence in my pond keeping and pond building, and I'm very happy to welcome Gary Woodstock to the show tonight, the pond father. Gary, are you on the line? I hope so. Mike, are you there? Uh, I'm here, and I hear you, so you must be there. Good. This is Gary Woodstock. I'm down in Florida and listening to the show and loving every minute. Great, Gary. Thank you so much for coming on. How are you doing tonight? Well, I'm doing well. I'm I'm a I'm a uh, a pondless person, and not in the sense that uh, I'm, I'm I've got a waterfall with uh, with no pond, but I've got no pond or waterfall because I uh, moved from Illinois to Florida a few months back, and uh, yep. I have to get a permit in order to have a pond put in, and I'm waiting for a decision on that permit process, and it takes a long time. So I think we're pretty close to it, and I'm pretty sure that come June or so I'm going to have a pond, and I just can't wait. Wow, so this is, this is probably the first time in many years that you've been pondless. <laughs> that's, that's exactly right. Uh, I built my first pond with my son in 1982. Uh, I changed homes in 1996, um, and I was without a pond then for 17 days. I got a kick out of that, and... And when the pond got built, uh, we did it in a day as a, as a classroom setting. And within two days of the pond being built, we had about a half a million gallons, a record rainfall of 18 inches of water. And the calculation wow. came out on my property to be a half a million gallons. And one of the ironies of that was when we finished the pond, uh, because we wanted the students to see the pond running, we brought in a tanker of like 5,000 gallons of water to get the pond filled fast. And he, the yep. tanker drove away, the pond was running, and then the rain started. Yeah, so we had a half a oh, million gosh. gallons a couple of days later. And the, the pond survived, but it wasn't a very good situation because the mulch hadn't been really too stabilized. And so and I was at the bottom of a long hill uh, in my neighborhood. Oh, so a lot of that water yep. not only fell on my yard, but it fell above me on the neighbor's yards. And uh, I had about hmm, maybe three inches of pure uh, muck uh, topsoil that was flushed into my pond. And I just put a plug wow. in the bottom, uh, 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 and, and it was an ejector pump, pumped that mud yep. out. And I never had to drain the pond completely. I just pumped out the slurry of mud on the bottom and got her going, and I did a full pond cleanup maybe a year later, but there were never any ill effects from that monster storm, and that's one of the things that I've been impressed with, the kind of ponds that we've been designing. They're extremely resilient. Yeah, very durable. What, what, so you're waiting for a permit for your, your next pond. Um, what, what size? Like, What are you going to be doing? Tell me a little bit about that project. Well, I'm kind of lucky because... Uh, uh, I had a small one pond. I, I had a small pond in mind, although I I wanted to build a bigger one. I thought in my community, maybe if I start smaller, they would be more accepting of it. And it was in my front yard, too, where I wanted to be cautious about it so that uh, passerbys wouldn't be uh, alarmed at the activity because I'd live in a uh, semi-retirement community, a lot of older folk. And um, uh, then Greg made a visit down here with Ed, and, of course, he immediately drew out something way bigger than what I had originally planned, although it wasn't what I wanted to get into within, say, another year or something. But my pond went from 4 by 8 
a real little puppy, to a 13 by 13, which is just, just an average, right. average size. But I've got a 30-foot stream on it. Yeah. Oh, boy. Nice. Very nice. And, and so that's the design. And so I'm going to hit that with the, our architectural review committee that comes up next Wednesday, and I just can't wait. A uh, few of them are going to be surprised because I originally went to, uh, forward with a smaller pond and, and presented that, and I had some objections. And uh, so now I'm going bigger, but I've, I've got more of my ducks in a row to um, convince them that it, that it is appropriate. And that it's very ecologically right. friendly, friendly, and and we're we're a wildlife kind of kind of a community. We live in Florida with a lot of wildlife surrounding us, uh, a lot mm-hmm. of wetlands around us, and of course I'm about 17 miles from the Atlantic Ocean. And that's kind of one of the world's ultimate ecosystems, isn't it? Yeah, I would say I would have to agree with you. That. That's so funny. You know, my uh, I built a pond for my dad, and um, what we did was we built it first, and then we asked for permission afterwards. <laughs> And That's hey, nice. it worked. <laughs> they weren't too you happy. You must have been doing it. Perhaps you were within, doing it in within. a backyard where people couldn't see it. Uh, no, actually, it was in the backyard. But um, I, I would say, given the scope of the project, we actually did his entire backyard. We did terraces and patios and walkways. A pond was one element of it. But he backs up to a golf course, a busy golf course. So. Uh, and a community golf course, so every, I think everybody got got a shot of it. But you know what? They just they didn't make him tear it out, so I was happy with that. And he still has it to this day, and it's doing just wonderful. Well, that's so. great for me to hear. I I love to hear father son stories. I've got a lot of my yeah, own. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so it must be uh, so you're semi-retired now. Yeah. Uh, yes, I am. I'm uh, enjoying life down here, but I'm still staying connected with the. Uh, uh, the aquascaping industry. Uh, I'm I'm participating in a number of forums as a homeowner. That's how I started in this uh, a hobby in the first place, uh, getting a small pond for my son's turtles. And uh, that yep. was back in 1982, and that's a story that my son and I have repeated probably hundreds of times. But I'd like to get into that a little bit tonight um, when you're ready. Sure. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, okay. Well, it's so funny because a, a lot of people I talk to, they, they tell me they're retired, they're customers or family members, and, yeah, you know, we're retiring, and they end up being busier than ever, but, but typically in, in pursuits that they're, they're actually enjoying uh, tremendously. So I, I hope that's the case with you, too. You keep them real busy, and, uh, you know, I'm sure you've got grandkids that are keeping you busy, too. Do they, are they into ponds? Well, they uh, – my grandkids from my daughter – are definitely into them. The oldest one is a third grader. I've got a, a kindergartner, a first grader, and then a, a preschooler. And uh, oh, wow. dad, their dad, my son-in-law, can't keep them out of the water. It's a joy to see. And, of course, That's Greg great. Gets, grew up with ponds, and so uh, they're into them as much as anybody, too. Yeah, yeah. It's just a, a fact of their life, I guess. It's funny, I've talked to uh, people who work in the industry, or grew up in the industry, I should say, and uh, one of them was, um, you probably know him, Carol Kodama. He's he's a koi um, importer, breeder, grower. And it's funny, because uh, I asked him, you know, do you enjoy the hobby? And he, he's like, to me, it's, it's not really a hobby. I don't even think I actually enjoy it. It's just life. <laughs> wow. Uh, and imagine That's for, intriguing. you know, not not that he doesn't enjoy it, but it doesn't register in a way that I guess somebody just getting into it 
Um, mm-hmm. So pretty interesting. But um, so tell me, um, when did you get into the hobby? Because I, I know you built, you and Greg built a pond back in 82 for Samson and, and probably whatever other turtles there were. But when did you personally get, get into the hobby? Well, I'd have to say that, that Greg and I entered it uh, simultaneously. He needed a pond. I had kept aquariums uh, through, you know, starting in uh, probably about the eighth grade or so. I'll never forget my first tank up in my bedroom. It was quite a thrill. And um, what did you have? Then I had some. I had some tanks. I'm sorry. What kind of fish did you have? Uh, I believe I had some cichlids at the time, and I remember I had. I believe it was like a dwarf cichlid. I want to say that made a bubble nest. I thought that was pretty intriguing. And then I had a hatchet fish. Go ahead. No, go ahead. I'm listening. <laughs> okay, I had a hatchet fish, and a fly got into the tank above the water, but underneath the aquarium hood, and the fly was zipping around. I was in bed trying to sleep, and I heard this bang, 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 bang. It was the hatchet fish flying out of the water trying to catch that fly that had gotten inside of his uh, habitat. That was pretty oh, funny. Yeah. Yeah, oh, and then is, I had okay. a I had a uh, an Amazon sword plant, and I was a complete um, naive uh, 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 pond not a pond builder but uh, aquarium caretaker, and I put that thing in the gravel. I can't remember fertilizing it. I didn't read anything about it, and that son of a gun took over the aquarium and bloomed with white flowers above the surface and. To this day, I've never had an Amazon sword plant that has been as hardy and vibrant as that very first one when I didn't even know what I was doing. Frustrating. Yeah. I can't replicate, I can't duplicate that that, uh, original experience. Yeah, that's funny. You know, uh, I've been a lifelong fish keeper. Um, My grandfather kept fish. My father kept fish. So I've always had fish. And I actually think in the aquarium industry, the quality of plants and such, even the livestock, was superior um, many years ago, several decades ago, unfortunately, unfortunately. But it's still a great hobby, and and it's a great um, gateway for people to get into the hobby of pond keeping, which in many ways, you know, I think a lot of people come into it as fish keepers, Ultimately, it diffuses into water gardening and, and all the other wonderful aspects of the, this incredible hobby and lifestyle. But I think a lot of people come into it by way of fish. Uh, I know that I certainly did. Um, but I always found it interesting that, you know, especially for Greg, your son, who's the pond guy, um, that he came into it with turtles. <laughs> You know, in my mind, I'm like, it's, it's about the fish, but it, it isn't always that way. So a turtle You're pond... Right. It kind of launched the, what I think, honestly, was, was you guys were pretty much pioneers in modern 21st century pond keeping because that's really when things, I, I think, took a little bit of a turn. Um, so when you built that first pond, I, I want to talk to you a little bit about that because I'm interested in, especially at that time, there's no Internet. You couldn't get on and get plans for a pond within a half hour. How did you go about planning that pond? How did you build the pond? Okay, um, you're right. There were some books that were um, authored in England, but they didn't get into any kind of filtration. And I may have copied from them. I really can't recall that. But I know I knew from the beginning that I wanted to build it out of concrete. 
the reason I chose concrete is is actually almost by default because I didn't I wasn't aware of a liner that I could possibly use. There were no local sources for um, upon liners, in fact, because I, I was in Chicago at the time in 1982, and concrete seemed to me immediately to be the most durable, and I was serious about building something that was going to be very complementary to my uh, yard and landscaping and something that my son could get into without damaging it, and so I just gravitated toward concrete without an awful lot of... Uh, uh, investigation because there wasn't a lot of material that I could investigate. So uh, sure. I went with concrete, and one of the mistakes I made was when I made the pour, I, I built the pond to be, uh, I made the excavation 30 inches deep, and I anticipated uh, six inches of concrete on the bottom and like three inches on the walls. And the yeah. concrete uh, slurry was too fluid. And so instead of six inches of concrete in the bottom, I had more like 12. And so my pond went from 24-inch deep design all of a sudden up to 18 inches. And I was real disappointed in that because I was hoping to get more volume. Uh, but that happened, and as hard as Greg and I worked to shovel that concrete from the bottom up to the walls, it constantly just slid down the walls, discouragingly so. Right. And, in fact, I had to go back and get more concrete on a separate day and bond the two different pores together and, and I built a form this time for the perimeter wall so that the form would hold the concrete in place and allow me to go deeper. And uh, it turned out to be much more of an effort than I had anticipated. And then the whole project, to be honest with you, it took years because while we got the thing functional within a few weeks' time, we kept having issues like losing all of our turtles, for example, and experiencing nothing but green water. And it was Greg's motivation to try to sell this pond because a lot of people did like it, and we did too. We had a waterfall flowing, we had fish in the pond, we had water lilies. It was very exciting, mm-hmm. and of course our standards were not what they are today, and we enjoyed it immensely. We just got a lot of pleasure out of it, and and we did lose the turtles, but we uh, you know we learned a lot from that experience, and we were happy to keep fish in it. And like you, I really look forward to having a large type pond because. I think you can identify with this, and I believe a lot of, of Aquarius probably can. You start with a 5 or 10-gallon. It's maybe the most your parents will allow you. If you're lucky, maybe yeah. a 50-gallon. But much above 50, it becomes difficult to even carry that tank in and out, find a place where it can hold the weight of that tank. And if you let's say you're going to have a 100-gallon tank, that would be a monster, more or less, as, as tanks go. That would weigh a half a ton by the time you had yeah. water in there. And so when I went outside and had a 1,000 gallons, I was, like, ecstatic. I couldn't believe that I would have a fish tank in my uh, care that would have a 1,000 gallons of water. And that was very, very exciting for me. So it was with great joy that Greg and I built this pond together. And uh, I, I, I never thought I had to filter that water because I felt the solution to pollution was dilution. And so I and didn't. by way of water change? Even so by the way of water changes. diluting by, by way of water changes. That's a, that's a normal way to interpret that. But I was thinking if I only have, say, 15 fish, I used to keep 15 fish in a 10-gallon tank. And so I thought if uh, I put 15 okay. fish into a 1,000-gallon container, nature would take care of those fish. And to be honest with you, Nature did. 
they did that by growing algae, and I had nothing but pea soup. The sunshine supported it, and I had a green water pond the entire time that Greg and I had that pond until we learned about filtration. Right. Interesting. So what was your first uh, step towards filtering that particular pond? Where, you know, because I'm still looking at it as very early days where filtration was, most of it was DIY. I mean, there, there just wasn't really stuff out in the market, um, at least not, nothing popular or easy to come across. What were your first steps towards filtering um, that pond? I'm not sure where I saw it, but probably a company called Trickers in Independence, Ohio, which is where I used to live. I used to ride my bicycle to this place, and it was predominantly a tropical fish aquarium store, but they had some outdoor <clears throat> ponds too. And I believe that they carried some little giant products, and I purchased from them a, a small in-pond filter. It probably measured 15 inches by 15 inches by 3.5 inches deep. And I sucked that in okay. the bottom, attached a small little giant pump to it that percolated up into the water and created maybe a little fountain. It had no waterfall then. And that yep. thing did do its job so efficiently that within a few days' time, there would be no way for the uh, water to get to the pump because it was so clogged, the pump would shut down, and that's how I knew it was time to clean this filter. But because right. my pond was a fish bowl, I had a very difficult time going in to get that filter. I'd have to slide down the algae-coated walls, and it wasn't very easy. I never did fall down, but I always had somebody helping me holding a broomstick while I kind of skateboarded down the wall of that pond because it was about 14 feet or 12 feet across, as I recall. So I got down to the yep. middle of the pond, reached down, feeling for the filter because it was all green. I couldn't see the bottom. And I would pull that filter out, and then I had to figure out a way to take that filter and get it out of the pond, and I would swing it back and forth because it was pretty heavy, maybe 10, 15 pounds. And in my uh, uh, technique of, of trying to toss the thing out of the pond to clean that filter, I would slosh, you know, probably half of the contents practically back onto myself or back into the pond. So it was difficult to clean because it was difficult to access and then difficult to carry it out of the pond. So after probably a few weeks or so, and the pond not really clearing up noticeably anyhow, I even abandoned that filter. Yeah. Then what happened, I think maybe um, we went another couple of years, and then Greg had the idea that he wanted to sell this pond. That's so funny to me, that even at, at such such a, a young age, he was uh, considering doing those things. You know, back in the easy days of pond maintenance, that's very funny. Um, Trickers is, is one of the oldest water gardening centers in the United States. I, I that learned that recently. I, yeah. Like they go back into like the 1800s or something like that. They were water lily suppliers and goldfish suppliers. They they go way way back. So interesting. Wow. So you got your start. You got your start from one of the first first water gardening supply companies in the in the United States. Um, so so after that, after you you've had your experience with that method of filtration and, and saw the downsides and and not very many upsides. What was the next step? Um, when did you first come across? Where did you go from there? Well, Greg had said when he announced to the family that he wanted to sell this pond because I had gotten him a job rolling cylinders at an industrial gas company. And as you might imagine, he didn't get a lot of satisfaction from that. He did like taking right. care of the pond. 
and decided that he would sell it to other people. And I was somewhat uh, aghast because every year Greg and I used to shovel approximately three inches of crud out of the bottom of that concrete pond. We would drain it and then get a shovel out and shovel the stuff into a wheelbarrow because it was uh, heavy enough that we could just shovel it out. And I thought, man, no one's going to want to do this kind of maintenance. There's got to be a better way to do this. And about that time, I had been subscribing to Family Handyman, and one of the single most influential articles in my uh, aquascaping career uh, was in a Family uh, Handyman magazine, and it was an article written by Joe Decker of Wyckoff, New Jersey, probably not too far from where you live today. No, 45 minutes. And that article talked about it. Go ahead. No, that, uh, that Wyckoff is right up the road from me. It's about 40 minutes away. Wow. Well, uh, I had the the uh, the article, and I was intrigued by it because I knew right away that this guy, Joe uh, Decker, and his son, Rob, were using garbage cans uh, outside the pond, attaching it to a liner, and putting the pump there. I love that idea. And I thought right away, wow, I can put some pads in there because he was only using a net to kind of protect the, the um uh, a pump so it didn't get clogged with leaves and debris. And then he, he ran the, the, uh, the pump discharge around to the other side of the pond and squirted it back into the pond. And the pond that we saw in his yard was spectacular. We, uh, Greg and I booked a, a flight up there because Greg wanted to sell ponds commercially, and I wanted to meet somebody that was actually doing that. And uh, to this day, I'm very grateful to Joe and his son, Rob, for the um, – um, mentorship that they provided uh, Greg and me as we began our our uh, wonderful journey into this uh, into this um, aquascaping industry. Yeah, you know, first I I'd like to say that I'm very happy that 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 influence came out of New Jersey. <laughs> sure. Um, and and you lived in New Jersey. I live in Summit, which is where uh, your son, the pond guy, Greg, was born. So we have All some. Yeah, some weird stuff going, some cosmic stuff going on here. Um, <laughs> that's, that, <laughs> so you heard about uh, Joe Decker through an article that he had writ, written. Um, did you, when you, first of all, I mean, you guys had to have been super into it to make a road trip across half the country to go meet with these guys just to learn how to filter a pond. <clears throat> but it's almost like in those days, that's what you had to do because there was not internet. You know, you, you couldn't just click on a link and find out all this stuff. So you actually went right to the source. Um, I've come across a couple of two Decker ponds that uh, I, in my, you know, just going around and meeting with people. And uh, one of them was still functional. The other one was a little, needed a little work, I would say. But um, anyway, I just think it's very interesting. I'd love to get my hands on them. But these guys, so they were using a skimming system, and in my opinion, the skimmer is the most powerful piece of pond equipment that somebody could consider putting onto their pond. I think it just does a tremendous job. But what about the use of gravel? Were they also utilizing gravel in their pond construction? Yes, they were. And when he first told me that, I was pretty skeptical because I had Mm – recall, you know, I didn't have any filtration, but I had all that muck in the bottom of the pond, which was, uh, while inconvenient and ugly, still relatively easy to get rid of because I could shovel it out. And I thought for sure, if I put that gravel in there, 
then I would have the same three inches of muck, and there would be no easy way to get rid of that because I didn't think a pump could even handle that kind of uh, solid material that was in that pond. And I couldn't shovel it out anymore because I would be removing all the gravel too, and it would be far more labor-intensive. And then I'd have to find a way to clean the gravel and put it back. It just sounded crazy to me. But what Joe taught me was that he put gravel in not so much for the um, uh, biological uh, benefits of that or the aesthetics of it, but he put it in because he was experiencing uh, water bubbling up underneath the liner. So he put some rocks in there to kind of anchor that liner down, and then he added some gravel probably between the rocks to stabilize the bottom of the pond. And what he discovered when he did that was the pond stayed a heck of a lot cleaner. He didn't have the sludge in the bottom. And, of course, a lot of that sludge he prevented in the first place by using a skimmer. But then the combination of the skimmer to eliminate the debris from sinking to the bottom in the first place, combined with what debris wasn't caught, falling into the uh, the bed of, of bacteria that prospered, uh, in that, uh, in, the, in the, the lower sections of the pond in the gravel, uh, he had a, a system that was, uh, you know, extremely well-designed and effective. And uh, I couldn't wait to try it on my pond. So when Greg and I went back from that trip, we immediately put a skimmer on our pond. They weren't available commercially except for swimming pools. So we actually took a swimming pool skimmer and cut it apart so we could mount that onto the face of a garbage can and that's what we did for our filtration, just copying Joe's design. But then I added filter right. pads to, and I thought that's would that would be all that I would need then. I was thinking I, I didn't want to over the over filter the pond and make a lot of work for myself. But that still wasn't enough because my pond still wasn't as, as clear as I would have liked it. And so when we took a trip, we, we later learned about the National Pond Society, uh, started by a guy named Alan Sperling. Some of our listeners, I'm sure, know of him. Don't know where he is today, although I've heard Florida. A uh, fun guy, extremely enthusiastic, and he printed a, I believe it was a monthly publication at the time, which was way ahead of the curve, and got a number of people to author you know, articles on plants and filtration, and he sponsored a pond tour in Atlanta. And Greg and I were immediately on top of that and flew in a plane down to Atlanta, and we saw some bad ponds, we saw some good ponds, but we met a couple that were installing them professionally by the name of Bart and Claudia Hodges. I can't recall the name of their business, but they were using Rubbermaid filters as an additional accessory to biologically filter that water before that uh, water before the um, uh, skimmed water got back to the pond. And we thought that was a right. great idea because the water was introduced at the bottom of that uh, Rubbermaid filter. It went upwards, and by the water going upwards, it had to come back to the pond some way, but now it was up high in the air, and so it was a natural way to create a waterfall, which is very valuable because of its beautiful, not because of its beauty, but also because by creating a waterfall, you're now oxygenating the water, thus enhancing the characteristics and capabilities of your ecosystem. Right. Very so those two prior art um, uh, mentors for Greg and me, Bart and Claudia Hodges with the biological filter, and uh, um, Joe Decker and his son Rob with the with the skimmer that had our system in place and the rocks and gravel. And then uh, when I was back in Chicago again working on the business, I saw ads in um, National Pond Society publication called Pondscapes, and it was for a company called ABA, Aqua Back to Aid. Have you ever heard of that? 
I haven't. I I used to get Pondscape magazine, um, but I I did not. I don't. I'm not familiar with that company. Yeah, when you told me that you were getting the magazine, that was pretty intriguing to me. So you've been in, in this industry a long time too, my friends. So anyway, yeah, we yeah we, we were buying. The, I got anything. Go I got any magazine that had to do with fish ponds. I mean, whatever. I did. If there was something out there, I I pretty much had them all. <laughs> I was the same way. In fact, when I first saw my issue of uh, first issue of Koi USA, I immediately subscribed to that magazine, and I read it every time the issue came. I read it cover to cover. A lot of fun. Right. But anyhow, I, I found this company producing ABA product, and I tried that in the ponds, and I I was a little skeptical. It was a bacteria of some kind to improve water quality, and uh, I didn't know if it was working or not. But we had sold some to our customers, and we're trying it ourselves. And when the customers were calling me back, asking for refills, telling me that they wanted to buy some for their neighbors too, and what they were telling me was that their internal filters didn't have to be cleaned as often. And instead of cleaning mm-hmm. them every week, they were cleaning them like every three or four weeks. So it was improving their pond water quality immensely and preventing clogging of the filters. So I knew right away that this bacteria was something that was very worthwhile pursuing. And we called ABA and tried to make a trip down to St. Louis. And I don't know what his operation was, but he didn't want us to see it. And that was very disturbing to me. And so we found another supplier. And I I believe our second supplier was somebody um, that was uh, providing Hunting Creek Fisheries down in Thurmont, Maryland. And uh, they were were selling a product made in Canada by – let me think of the name of the company. Carl – Carl Ehrlich was his name. He was like the patent holder on this uh, bacteria, and he was treating large ponds, I believe, in Europe, too, and achieving a lot of success. And we were pretty impressed with his product. And we switched over to him because we could actually get it from uh, Hunting Creek Fisheries in Maryland. And he was the sole supplier in the United States. And occasionally the owner of that company would take off on a trip and uh, we couldn't get the product for sometimes a week or two at a time. It drove us crazy. So we ended up switching to still another supplier, Winston. You probably heard of them, and I don't know where they are today, but uh, they were making a very good product. And ultimately, we we found a more local supplier capable of of making the biological uh, bacteria that we needed at Aquascape in, in large quantities. And now we're actually sourcing it locally, right in the Chicago area, built to our own huh. uh, company specifications. Yeah, that's awesome. Good good product as well. So what is, you know, the the ecosystem, there's many ways to go about building ponds. Um, the ecosystem pond, you know, in my opinion, is the superior way to do it. What What is an ecosystem pond to you? If you're, if you were to just, if somebody's asking you like I am, what, what is an ecosystem pond to you? What does that mean to you? Okay. Here's how I like to characterize this. Instead of getting into the technicalities of the interaction of the various organizations, uh, organisms that, that comprise an ecosystem of all interdependency, I like to think of it this way. I, I have a little summary that I call PFBOG, uh, an acronym, uh, P-F-B-O-G for BOG. And, and the first P stands for plants. To me, if you have a natural ecosystem in a pond, you've got plants in there, they're going to they're gonna be taking up some of the nutrients, just like in an aquarium, but unlike an aquarium where it's very difficult to grow plants, in spite of my fantastic experience with an Amazon sword many years ago, uh, growing 
quarry implants, many people realize, is rather difficult, and they have all kinds of equipment to uh, allow people to maybe accomplish that. Most people don't succeed, and a lot of plastic plants get sold in the quarries, which is kind of sickening to me. Well, outdoors, you don't need plastic plants because you've got sunshine, and so plants right. prosper. And, and and I particularly like it when you use gravel to jump ahead of myself for a second because you can plant some of those plants, particularly bog plants like iris, right in the gravel of a pond. And when we planted an iris in our pond in Wheaton, Illinois, that uh, plant grew so vigorously that it blocked our view of the waterfall. So my wife wanted me to remove it, and I had a difficult time removing it because it had traveled approximately 12 10 to 12 feet across the entire bottom of the pond and up to the other side of his root system, which I love wow. to see. It made it difficult to remove, but it was an example of how the nutrients in the pond were being consumed by the plant, and the plant was doing wonderfully. And it's outdoors. It's got what it, what it needs. And so you, to me, when you have an ecosystem, we're talking plants, not sterile, but, but plants. And then the F stands for fish and filters. Uh, the fish are there because they help to create joy in the, in the pond, but as far as an ecosystem is concerned, they're eating some of the insects that might otherwise overpopulate the pond. They're going to eat that, um, mosquitoes that might otherwise be a hazard in that pond, and a nuisance at least. And they're also, then their waste is fertilizing the um, plants that are in the pond. So it's natural to want to put some fish in there. And of course, the fish yep. are also excreting ammonia, and the bacteria in the pond live on that. So we're all talking about interdependency. So now we have plants, we have fish, and then we're talking PF bog, so we get to the B. And that's biological or it's bacteria. You're, you want to add bacteria because we have closed systems. And in a closed system, I think it's very beneficial to add bacteria. I found that in the very beginning when we were first uh, purchasing that product from, from uh, early suppliers in our industry. And by adding bacteria, I find that the filters last longer, just like my customers found without having to be cleaned, yep. and uh, the bacteria is relatively inexpensive. And we just came out with an automatic doser, by the way. Uh, it sells for like 129.95 or something, and you put liquid container a liquid container in it, and it has a little pump that drips the, the uh, you, and you can control the rate. So you, if you have a 100-gallon pond or a 3,000-gallon pond, you just vary the rate to match the quantity of water that you're trying to filter and maybe even the number of fish you have. And uh, you add bacteria instead of you having to remember because it's easy to forget to add bacteria. And I love adding it because it makes for less maintenance in the pond. And then, oh, right. And that's so it's incredibly convenient for pond keepers and pond owners to to have that, that type of a system, that piece of equipment, the, uh, the Aquascape bacteria doser. Um, I think those are great. I'm so glad that those are on the market now. It really makes it very easy. People should definitely check that out. Um, go ahead. That's it. That's an awesome addition to ponds. Then there's the, the importance of oxygen. Uh, if a pond is, is, just, is, is, is not being pumped uh, and you're just waiting for the atmosphere to um, uh, transfer oxygen into the water at the surface, uh, particularly on a deep body of water, but even on a relatively shallow body of water, um, one of the experiences I had was we built a, a, a fishless pond without an ecosystem in a little um, a basin in the front of our yard in Wheaton because Greg's bedroom uh, was in the front of the house, so he couldn't enjoy the pond like his mom and dad were from the, from our our um, uh, bedroom, which was in the back. His was in the front, so we built a little pond for him in the front, I mean, like maybe 
20 gallons or something. It wasn't a pond, but it was a, uh, a basin of water, and we put a lava rock in there and ran a little pipe up to the, to the top of the, to the lava rock and let the water bubble back to the pond. When we shut right. that pump off, within probably uh, half a day or so, the water would start to stagnate and smell. It was shocking. And I would measure, yeah. I had a, de- a dissolved oxygen meter, I would measure the oxygen, and it was being consumed by debris that had fallen into that, because we had no filters on it of any kind, debris would fall in there, and it would start to smell, and we would have practically no oxygen, no measurable oxygen. I would turn the waterfall pump on within within seconds, within a minute or two, I could measure eight, nine, ten parts per million of oxygen, and the smell would go away within minutes, too. So amazing. your pond supports bacteria, and I can... I've actually read articles, like you talked about, where the Internet will give you some misinformation that it said a waterfall does not appreciably increase the dissolved oxygen level in a pond. <laughs> that's nuts. Yeah. I can tell you for, and it, for with an absolute assurance and measurements that that's nuts, that, that waterfalls are critical. So and then the last oh, element yeah. of the pond is the most controversial, and that's G for gravel. And uh, that's what Joe Decker taught us. And when I put gravel in our pond, uh, it, it has to be the right size. I've seen people put in a whole bunch of golf ball-sized gravel. That's not enough surface yep. area to create the, the habitat that you want for bacteria to grow, and yet you don't want right. aquarium gravel either because aquarium gravel is about the size of, say, BBs, and that's too small. Yep. That'll compact, and, and it won't get water to flow through it, uh, through the uh, cracks between all the rocks. And what you really want is is, uh, is, pea, is, is pea gravel, about the size of peas, and that works works quite well, mixed with some golf balls in there too to make it look better and to create some void spaces where the moving water can kind of propagate to carry oxygen down to the bacteria where it's needed, where they have set up housekeeping inside the pond. Yeah, and it, it essentially creates an incredible biological filter um, within your pond. Um, and also, it, it does a very, very good job of um, mechanical filtration as well. Gravel pulls out solids and floating debris within a pond uh, very effectively, as well as the, the filtration systems that most of us are hooking up to our ponds. So it really is amazing. Gravel, to me, is one of the key elements in achieving a high water quality. And gravel filtration is um, it's not really anything new. It's been around for thousands of years. Um, Sumerians used gravel filtration to purify their water to, to the point of a drinking standard. Probably not to our standards, but it worked for them. I was always interested, and, and you answered my question, about how the Deckers had decided to utilize gravel, but it was just a side effect. It's beneficial impact on water quality. They were actually using it as a ballast for their liners. Exactly. But absolutely. It is, you know, uh, definitely controversial, uh, especially in the, in the pond industry. People are extremely passionate about it, but uh, in my opinion, experience, in my opinion, and I think yours as well, there's just no denying the beneficial qualities of adding the correct size gravel to your pond, using it the correct way. Right, so, and in very, combination very, with the other elements, the skimmer so that you don't have debris going to the bottom that would follow the gravel, uh, and sometimes yep. jets to make sure you've got good movement in the water, and then a waterfall to help oxygenate, and then the skimmer, which skims from the surface, so you're feeding the biological filter with the maximum quantity of oxygen in that water because it's coming right off the surface where nature has provided for the best amount of oxygen exchange from the atmosphere. So 
it's a, right. it's a great system, and what I like about it as much as anything is the freedom from maintenance that can be experienced with this kind of a system. It doesn't mean you, you don't have to maintain it because you still have to clean those filters. Uh, typically, uh, you can go for practically a season on the biological filter, especially if they're large enough and you're not overstocking your, your pond. But people who have bad experiences with gravel, it's because they've overstocked their pond. They don't clean their skimmers or they don't even have one. Their biological filter is too small. They're overfeeding the fish. You can, it's just like a car. Cars are inherently safe, but if you're 12 years old and you haven't been trained how to drive a car, you can have an accident. If you're, if you're not seeing too well, if you're texting, which is the worst case of all, anything can cause problems if it's not managed correctly, and you just have to learn how to, how to run a system like this and run correctly. These things are awesome. And what I like about oh, them is that, to me, they're kind of a pond for the masses because the, if you go with a sterile bottom pond, which some people prefer, I'll accept that, but then you have to agree to probably have a power backup system because you've got to keep that pond circulated now. You've got to take all that waste to external filters, and those filters have to be cleaned by not nature, but you, the, the homeowner. And so those systems require special precautions too. So there's just no free lunch. All systems have to be maintained, whether you're driving a car or flying an airplane. You've got to know how to, how to do it right or riding a bicycle even. So all systems right. work, but I like mine. I like my ecosystem approach because it's uh, the least amount of maintenance and it's the prettiest, and I think it's the most natural for the fish. And one other story I'll mention, I loved it when I heard Ed's story about going up to the 10th floor of a hotel that had a pond in it, and it was a long stream, and there was a section that had gravel in it and other sections that were barren of gravel, and where did all the koi hang out? Hanging out by the gravel. Hanging out by the gravel. I had never heard that story before from Ed. So he's a great yeah. resource and been one of my uh, trainers and uh, mentors, uh, along with uh, with uh, all of our customers that I learned from. And I'm enjoying myself as much today, and maybe more so than I ever have, because there's so much opportunity to interact with other people. And that's what I'm doing now. I'm trying to get in these forums and help answer people's questions. And there's too many questions to answer them all, but uh, I do my best and, and and enjoy interacting with everybody that I get a chance to. Yeah. Yeah, Ed is a great mentor for myself as well. And, uh, I mean, it started um, as as you are and, uh, of course, as Greg is. And it's, that started back when I used to watch the VCR tapes that you guys would send out <laughs> all those years ago. I mean, uh, yeah, you're you said, <laughs> yeah, but I'll tell you what, I, I watched those things a thousand times. I mean, they, they were just uh, – I would watch them – before I went on a consultation, I'd watch them when I woke up in the morning before I went to go build a pond. I, I just, I watched those things inside now. And, um, Ed has continued this day to be a great mentor. And it was, it was interesting because what the example you just gave from Ed of having a concrete bottom pond with sections of gravel where the koi preferred to stay at came off mm-hmm. of a conversation I was having with him regarding, um, a power outage we had here in the Northeast. Uh, I guess it was like three years ago, Hurricane Sandy, Superstorm Sandy, gave my area a beating, and we lost power for nine days. And I mean everybody in my area, including all my customers, and and I manage, you know, close to a couple hundred pounds. And um, during that time, um, I was expecting disasters, numerous disasters with fish dying off left and right because there was no power here. But... um, my pond did just fine, and uh, the majority of my customers' ponds, I do deal with some other non-ecosystem ponds, 
but the majority of our ponds did absolutely perfectly. I mean, I, I would say really very, very low, if any, fish loss. So there, there's definitely a lot of um, benefits to how these are being built. And you're no stranger to all these different types. I mean, you've tried. You started with concrete. You switched to liner. You, you changed over the years your approach to it. Um, and you've even been on um, koi pond walks and gone and, you know, done tours and visited other people's ponds. Tell me a little bit about your, your Louisville, Kentucky koi pond walk. Okay. That was a soccer to me. Uh, I, I love going on pond walks because I enjoy every pond, enjoy learning from every pond and just seeing and experiencing uh, uh, people's joys from uh, the, from the uh, ownership standpoint. And we had a thunderstorm. I, I was um, there on a Saturday, as I recall, and saw a whole bunch of ponds, six or seven or eight or nine. And then the next day got up after the thunderstorm, and the very first pond we visited was total pea soup. It was probably a eight-foot-deep koi pond. It looked a little bit like a swimming pool, all external filters. And the poor people had drained the pond about halfway down. The fish were still in there. They were safe and fine because the, the nutrients had had quickly gone out of balance because there was no filtration anymore. And it's an unnatural way to care for a pond because you're dependent on electricity, for example, to keep that pond uh, safe for the fish. And in this instance, the algae took over, and the people were very apologetic because we couldn't even see the fish, and, and the poor homeowners were were um, uh, beside themselves with frustration. And then darn if we didn't go to a second pond, and they had the same situation, a completely... Uh, 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 a complete pond filled with, with green water algae. It was see that happened because it was just overnight. And they probably had too many fish for that pond maybe. And I don't know how long they would have lasted. Potentially, if their power didn't come on for a while, it could have been a very difficult situation to, to deal with. So uh, that taught me a lesson yeah. about the resiliency of the same experience that you just shared with me about your nine days. I, I never would have thought the pond could go that long without power. And um, uh, you just... Uh, Proved me wrong. It's incredible. Yeah, and I, and I'm not uh, obviously not the only pond guy here in in Jersey. I, I would venture to say that they most many of the pond guys who who build the way we do probably had a very similar experience and not not having a whole bunch of disasters. I mean, I just figured, oh my gosh, especially after day three, I was like, wait till these phone calls start coming in. This is going to be a heartbreaking week, and it just never materialized, which which was wonderful. And um, I is. think it is because it's, it's an ecosystem system. There's so much going on that maybe if one element of it breaks down, there's enough support there to keep things going, which you are not going to get in a concrete um, box pond. It, just, there, it is not an ecosystem. And it's also not where these fish naturally come from. Where these fish, you know, their genetic programming, they come from ecosystems. They don't come from concrete boxes. So, um I'm not surprised by what you saw at, on that walk, um, but it's an unfortunate thing. One of the things that really appeals to me about ecosystem ponds, too, is not only the inner workings of how the pond actually functions, which is fascinating, all the way down to the biological um, level, but also the way they interact with their surrounding environment. Um, I've, I can't help but notice that the ponds that we build that are ecosystem ponds tend to attract other forms of life, not just what we what we introduce to, to it, but things that just show up. We have frogs that will come and utilize the pond. 
um, all sorts of interesting um, songbirds and, and little critters and woodland creatures that come out, and squirrels will come and drink from your pond, and you can have tadpoles reproducing and dragonflies. I mean, it's really an amazing uh, web is what it eventually ends up becoming. It really becomes its own little ecosystem, and um, I love that about these ponds. I just don't see that with other methods of pond building. And listen, I, I know other methods can work, but you just I just don't really see that happening with these. Do you, do you get enjoyment out of that aspect of it as well, all the different animals and, and the, the critters that take advantage of these systems? Oh, totally. I particularly enjoy the frogs. And in fact, when I take pictures of lilies, uh, my favorite pictures are those where a frog kind of sneaks in or a dragonfly flies in and lands on the on the water lily. It makes the picture so much more interesting. But I get a lot of satisfaction out of um, uh, taking pictures of my pond and, and, and what's happening in that pond on a, on a daily basis. Every time I, I leave the property and then come back, uh, when I used to be able to do that before I lost my pond here, um, uh, the first thing I would look at would be my waterfalls. And as, soon as, as soon as I saw that waterfalls running, I was pretty assured that the pond was probably going to be fine. And then next I wanted to see how were the fish, and then who else was visiting my pond and where were the toads? And, in fact, we'd have toads breeding in there in the springtime, and I used to love their songs. Some people don't like their songs, but it kind of put me to sleep at night. Um, yeah. A little bit like being at the ocean or something. It's just a characteristic of the pond during that time of the year. So uh, let me mention one other thing real quick. We're kind of running out of time. But uh, right before this call, I had a, a nice conversation with a, a lady by the name of Virginia Barker, that is the head of natural resources for the uh, county of Brevard, uh, Brevard County, where I live in Florida. She has a staff of over 90 people, and one wow. of her projects was a $180 million beach cleanup along the shores of Brevard County. So she works with a pretty big budget. And I'm proud to say that she also has an ecosystem pond, but you might be a little disappointed to know she's got no fish in there. Now, can you, you, can you guess why? No, because she wanted predators. her main objective in putting in the pond. I thought it might be because of predators, but it turns out her main objective in getting the pond was she loves tadpoles. That's why she put that pond in there. <laughs> so really? here's a, tad, a tadpole lady, and she's the head of natural resources, uh, you know, spending hundreds of millions of dollars in the environment that she lives in, and she has a degree in environmental science. I'm really proud of the fact that she's kind of one of our kindred friends that has built an aquascape pond with the help of the uh, of, of, a, of a certified aquascape contractor like yourself here in Florida. And it's several years yeah. old now, and she she absolutely loves it. So it was really fun That's talking so cool. to her and getting, getting, getting to know somebody. Yeah, isn't it? Yeah. Okay. I, yeah, that is. I love that. So before I let you go, um, I was given a question not to ask you. So, of course, I have to. So what are the bellows? <laughs> <laughs> I'm not oh, even sure right. what I'm asking you. <laughs> oh, come on. You know what a bellows is, right? The bellows? A bellows is like on a camera. It's a folded accordion, just like on an accordion player, that allows you to oh. close the door on the skimmer box so it can be sealed off from ah. the bottom. I got a, I got a patent on that because it's a, it's a good way to, to access your skimmer box so that you could get to the pump without having any water around it. Ah, that's so funny. All right. Well, now I know. The and I, I guess I didn't know that. 
Well, my <laughs> friends at, at Aquascape love to tease me about it because I used to sell them exclusively, and uh, I, I sold the patent to Aquascapes a, a long time ago. Yeah, so <laughs> that's great. If, if my wishes are granted one of these days, uh, Aquascapes will have their own bellows. <laughs> that's I'm great. keeping the pressure up. Well, I appreciate very much you, you coming on and joining me tonight, um, taking the time out of your day. Uh, I've, I've been a big fan of yours for a long time, and, um, you know, those tapes kind of helped me out more than more than you could imagine. And uh, I really appreciate you coming on tonight, sharing your knowledge with us, talking about ecosystem ponds and, and some of the interesting history behind that. And um, I, I hope you'll come back again sometime. Well, Mike, it's a pleasure talking to you, and, and um, I look forward to, uh, to, to your program in the future, and thanks very much for inviting me. It was quite an honor. My pleasure. My pleasure. Thank you so much. You have a great evening. Okay, you too. Bye-bye. Okay, bye-bye. That's so cool. The Pond Father, everybody, that was Gary Whitstock uh, on the show tonight. Um, one of my Pond heroes, the father of one of probably my biggest Pond hero. Um, I mean, he's truly a pioneer, truly pushed the boundaries of pond keeping out of the old traditional ways. Um, I think ways that rarely yielded the type of results that we kind of take for granted today. Um, clear water, low maintenance, very few algae issues. I'm, re- I'm really so glad he came on the show. But people really do take that for granted. When when I um, go and talk to people about ponds, about putting in ponds, when I consult with people, that's something that they just want. You know, it's, I want clear water. I want low maintenance. And um, that just is not always the case. There's there's many, many ways to um, build ponds, like I said a little bit earlier. But, um, yeah, I'm so glad that Gary came on and, and took the time to talk with me about ecosystem ponds. And I'll tell you, man, I watched those VCR tapes on installing ponds about a thousand times. Absolutely crazy. Ed Blue had hair in them. That, that's how crazy it is, if I remember that right. So I'm sold on them, folks. Ecosystem ponds, to me, are the way to go. I, I've been out in the field for about 20 years on almost a daily basis dealing with ponds in one way or another. Um, and the least trouble, the, the least maintenance, the most beautiful ponds are always the, the ecosystem ponds. And I know I still see people doing it the traditional way. I'm not against that. Um, I deal with traditional type of ponds. But, um, you know, the concrete pond, bottom drain, bead filter, UV systems, all that good stuff. All the bells and whistles. And uh, I know it can work. But, man, you know, I I see some crazy over-engineered ponds that do not work. They don't work. It's crazy. And I rarely see an ecosystem pond that does not work. And a lot of times the complaints against them really are due to mismanagement. You can't blame it on the gravel. You can't blame it on the rocks. When a pond is filthy, dirty, it's because the person who's managing it has allowed it to get filthy, dirty. Rocks and gravel do not create filth and dirt. They just don't. It doesn't happen. So anyway, I see some crazy stuff. I think most modern pond professionals would agree that ecosystem ponds are a great choice. I'm not saying the old ways don't work, but for them to work, you need to work at it. So... Don't get mad, folks. I know some of you very passionately dislike ecosystem ponds and think that they are, well, they, they are, quote, death trap open 
sewer pits, as one recent genius so eloquently put it. Um, but the ecosystem ponds are not that, and they are here to stay. They're the future of pond keeping. They are by far the most popular method of successful pond keeping out there. Can you do it other ways? Sure. There's many ways to build a mousetrap. They all catch mice, but some mousetraps are just better than others, like the ecosystem pond. Know what I'm saying? Know what I'm saying? So, um, hey, Periscopers, thanks for hanging out with me tonight. If you guys want to catch some more Pond Hunter, you can find Pond Hunter on YouTube, Twitter, Facebook, Periscope, all slash the Pond Hunter. And my website is fullserviceaquatics.com or just go to loveyourpond.com. It's all the same website. Easy stuff to remember. You can email me if you like. My email address is mike at fullserviceaquatics.com. Thanks for being here, everybody. I'm Mike Gannon. Uh, I will catch up with you next time on the Pond Hunter Radio broadcast. Till then, everybody, you know what you can do? Keep it pondy. That's right. You can keep it pondy. Got waterfall? No waterfall. So we'll catch you next time, Keep people. it pondy. Yes, you bet. Keep it pondy. You have been listening to the Pond Hunter Radio Broadcast on Blog Talk Radio with your host, Mike Gannon, the Pond Hunter. In the pursuit of all things aquatic, broadcasting Wednesday nights on Blog Talk Radio. The Pond Hunter, keeping it pondy for the aquatically obsessed. Good night, everybody. Have a good evening. We'll see you next time.